The Bible Study Podcast, episode 543. Today, the Bible Study Podcast continues the study of the kings of Israel and Judah with 2 Samuel 23. Welcome to the Bible Study Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Christensen. Today we have a chapter, the second to the last chapter in 2 Samuel, and it's called David's Last Words. These are the last words of David, the inspired utterance of David, son of Jesse, the utterance of the man exalted by the Most High, the man anointed by the God of Jacob, the hero of Israel's songs. The Spirit of the Lord spoke through me. His word was on my tongue. The God of Israel spoke The rock of Israel said to me, when one rules over the people in righteousness, when he rules in the fear of God, he is like the light of morning at sunrise on a cloudless morning, like the brightness after rain that brings grass from the earth. If my house were not right with God, surely he would not have made with me an everlasting covenant, arranged and secured in every part. Surely he would not bring to fruition my salvation and grant me my every desire. But evil men are all to be cast aside like thorns, which are not gathered with the hand. Whoever touches thorns uses a tool of iron or a shaft of a spear. They are burned up where they lie. These are interesting last words. I didn't find that as I read these, I thought, oh my gosh, I'm so glad he said these. Some parts of it are a little harder to understand. And so the basic thing he says here in this first part here is he says, God told me that the one who rules over me in righteousness, the one who rules over the people in righteousness, when he rules in fear of God, it's good. Like a light of morning at sunrise on a cloudless morning, like the brightness after the rain that brings grass from the earth. It means it's good. It's beneficial. To rule in righteousness, so to do the right thing, to stay in a right relationship with God and to rule that way, to be conscious of your actions that God is watching, right? To rule in fear of God. And when we say the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, the beginning of all wisdom, as we read in Proverbs, we don't mean an abject fear, but a reverential fear. Fear knowing that God is in control, knowing that God is watching. Would we behave the same if we were confident that God was watching our actions? I think we sometimes act in secret or in public as if God weren't paying attention. It's that sort of thing where you say something and someone says, would you talk to your mother that way? Right? Would you talk that way if you knew your mother was listening? Would you behave that way if you knew your parents were paying attention? Even much more so, would you behave that way if God were watching? Because he is. And especially then, people who are rulers, and this isn't David wasn't elected or anything like that. He was appointed by God, but even more so those who were elected officials, but those who have been given authority from God, from the people, the whole combination of things have this special responsibility to behave knowing that God is watching and to do the right thing. And then David says, would God have made this covenant with me in my house if we weren't right with God? But he brought to fruit my salvation. When David says salvation here, he's talking something different than we use the term. When we use the term salvation, we use it in a very religious way. 
Are you saved? Do you know Jesus? Those sort of things. When David says salvation, he means he was in trouble and God rescued him. And we saw that with David and Saul, and we saw that with David and Absalom. But in a very real sense, he understands that he was going under and that God came and pulled him out. We don't always have that same sort of real feeling when we talk about salvation. We talk about this thing, this spiritual kind of thing that is unrelatable to our daily lives. That's not the salvation that he means. He's saying that I was saved. Now, I had a chance one time to swim in a riptide uh, without realizing it, obviously, at a beach down in Southern California and had the lifeguard come out and say, hey, (laughs) did you know you're in a riptide and do you need help? And I started to say, well, no, I think I'm fine. I I know to swim sideways and I can get in. And the lifeguard said, I will have to keep an eye on you. Would you be willing to just hang on and I will swim us in? And I hadn't realized just how fast I had been pulled out and how far I had gone. And so even though I wasn't struggling, I said sure and realized that this was a very strong current and the lifeguard pulled us in. My wife had a chance to do this in a much less ideal situation in Hawaii where she was swimming with a very a friend who was a very strong swimmer, one of our former pastors who said, we're in a riptide, and he said, you know, swim swim this way, and indicated that they should swim to the side. Well, she lost track of him, and so she started swimming in towards the shore, which you don't do because the tide is pulling you out. And she tired, and she needed someone to rescue her, which fortunately was that friend who was that strong swimmer. This is what David says is, I was saved. I understand the situation that I found myself in And if it weren't for the presence and the action of God, I would have perished. It is important for us to know that that is our standing. And if nothing else, it should give us that fear of God, that reverential fear, that understanding that we're not all that. Especially as we're placed in positions of authority, because it is even more easy to get puffed up with our own importance when we are placed in positions of authority. Lord Acton, the British historian, said power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Power has a corrupting effect. When people do what you say all the time, you begin to think you are all that. And so it was important for David to understand, it is important for us to understand that we are saved by God, that we are in the positions we're in because of the acts of God, and to treat them gently, not to treat them as if they're something we deserve, but to rule, to serve in righteousness and in the fear of God. We're all called to do that, even more so as we get more and more responsibility. Evil men to be cast aside by thorns Whoever touches thorns uses the tool of an iron or the shaft of a spear. They are burnt up where they lie. He's basically saying, and to flee from those who are evil, basically to have nothing to do with them. We are corrupted also by those we associate with. We are judged also by those we associate with. 
When we're with other people, do we change them or do they change us? And David is concerned that sometimes they change us and we should flee. David's Mighty Warriors. These are the names of David's Mighty Warriors. This section, as I understand it, is here just to challenge me in terms of pronunciations. Josheb Bashibeth, a Takamanite, was chief of the three. He raised his spear against 800 men, whom he killed in one encounter. Next to him was Eleazar, son of Dodai the Ahoite. As one of the three mighty warriors, he was with David when they taunted the Philistines gathered at Paz Damim for battle. Then the Israelites retreated, but Eleazar stood his ground and struck down the Philistines till his hand grew tired and froze to the sword. The Lord brought about a great victory that day. The troops returned to Eleazar, but only to strip the dead. Next to him was Shema, son of Aji, the Hararite. When the Philistines banded together at a place where there was a field of lentils, Israel's troops fled from them. But Shema took his stand in the middle of the field. He defended it and struck the Philistines down. And the Lord brought about a great victory. And so we're starting to name the people who were around David. David wasn't successful and powerful in things because he was by himself, but because he had people who were faithful to him, who followed him, who helped him. And we're going to list the three and then the 30. And these are the three, these three people who are mighty warriors. For each one, it gives this time. Do you remember that time that he did this? We are affected by those we associate with both as David was concerned about in his last words, the evil, but also the strong, the brave, the good. All of those rub off as well. And so David, as we're telling the story of David, we can't finish the story of David without talking about these other people. During the harvest time, three of the 30 chief warriors came down to David at the cave of Adullam, well, a band of Philistines were encamped in the valley of Rephaim. At the time, David was in the stronghold, and the Philistine garrison was at Bethlehem. David longed for water and said, Oh, that someone would get me a drink of water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. So the three mighty warriors broke through the Philistine lines, drew water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem, and carried it back to David. But he refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out before the Lord. Far be it from me, Lord, to do this. He said, Is it not the blood of men who went at the risk of their lives, and David would not drink it. One of the reasons why people followed David is he understood their value. And he said this thing in haste and then felt bad about it later on when somebody actually put their lives at risk to go get this water for him. And he understood what they had done, and he couldn't even drink the water because at that point, he felt bad at this point that he had put them in danger for no good reason. And so a good leader is conscious of the people around them. They value the people around them, and they gather around them people like this who are mighty warriors, mighty prayers, righteous people, people who are of value to associate with. And these three clearly were. Such were the exploits of the three mighty warriors. Abishai, the brother of Joab, son of Zeruiah, was the chief of the three. He raised his spear against 300 men whom he killed, and so he became as famous as the three. 
Was he not held in greater honor than the three? He became their commander, even though he was not included among them. Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, a valiant warrior from Kabzeel, performed great exploits. He struck down Moab's two greatest warriors. He also went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. And he struck down a huge Egyptian. Although the Egyptian had a spear in his hand, Benaiah went against him with a club. He snatched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. Such were the exploits of Benaiah, son of Jehoiada. He too was as famous as the three mighty warriors. He was held in greater honor than any of the thirty, but he was not included among the three. And David put him in charge of his bodyguard. Among the thirty were Asahel, the brother of Joab, Elhanan, son of Dodo from Bethlehem, Shammah the Herodite, Elekah the Herodite, Helez the Peltite, Ira, son of Ikesh from Tekoa, Abiezar from Anathoth, Shivakai the Hushite, Zalman the Ahoite, Mahorai the Natophathite, Heled, son of Bana the Natophathite, Ithai, son of Ribai, from Gibeah in Benjamin, Beniah the Pirathonite, Hidai, from the ravines of Gash, Abi Alban, the Arbathite, Asmoveth, the Barhumite, Eliabah, the Shalbanite, the sons of Jeshen, Jonathan, sons of Shemah, the Hararite, Ahiam, son of Sherar, the Hararite, Elephalet, son of Ahasbai, the Makathite, Eliam, son of Ahithophel, the Gilanite, Herzo, the Carmelite, Parai, the Arbite, Igal, son of Nathan from Joba, the son of Hagri, Zelek, the Ammonite, Neharai, the Birathite, the armor-bearer of Joab, son of Zeruiah, Ira, the Ithrite, Gareb, the Ithrite, and Uriah, the Hittite. They were 37 in all. Now, it's interesting that there were 37 in his 30 Mighty Warriors, but it also may have changed over time, and most of these names we just don't know. A lot of these places or these tribes or these clans, and that's what these so-and-so from this, it's a clan probably, which also means a place. And so the Carmelite would be from Mount Carmel probably. Most of these names we just don't know. They just haven't come up in the story, and yet they were people who were faithfully with David. These were probably people, in many cases, who were with David when he was in the wilderness. They were with David when Saul was going after him. They were with David when his son was trying to kill him, Absalom. The one name that really stands out, though, and the one name that makes some of the story that we've heard even more painful is Uriah the Hittite. Not only was he a faithful warrior of David's, he was one of the most faithful warriors of David. He was here listed in the 30, and David had him killed out of lust for his wife. Not the way you're supposed to treat those who are following you when you are a leader. With that, we're going to end this episode of the Bible Study Podcast. We have one more episode in this book, and then we'll continue on into 1 Kings. If you have any questions, send an email to host at thebiblestudypodcast.com, or better yet, leave a comment on this episode at thebiblestudypodcast.com. Please forgive my pronunciation of these names, and thanks so much for listening.
Often we believe our questions mean we don't have faith, but I believe Jesus loves our questions. Our questions are windows into heaven. I'm Caden Fabrizio, and on the Questions with Caden podcast, we ask and answer one question per episode as relevantly and biblically as possible. Questions about fear, anxiety, depression, addiction, and so much more. Don't worry, your questions, they're not going to scare Jesus. So ask away. Listen and subscribe now at lifeaudio.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.